Now all of a sudden there's this new member of the family and it's like, we're all excited that it's here. But now we have to like figure out how like things really work, you know, when like when's yeah. dinner time. Yeah. And, and I like, don't know. You know. You're probably not really sleeping well right now. And no, yeah, all yeah. that stuff. It man. wakes you up in the middle of the mm-hmm. night. Yeah, man. Just big problem. You're like, I didn't know that D and D wasn't on. And then all of a sudden it's yeah. like 2 AM and you're using a stage manager. That happens to me all the time. Yeah. So I guess there's been some growing pains. I'm glad we got you off that $80 Apple folio case. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Golly, that was a bad mistake. <laughs> just don't don't buy apple cases yeah Whoa. 12 dollars on amazon mm-hmm. i think this one was 16 so oh, probably still you got the premium version. <laughs> yeah i did <laughs> it's because you had the product red one that's what it is yep, yeah i yeah. do and it's they don't even come in good colors yeah they're like it's 80 bucks for this folio, which like the folio case from apple is nice mm. but like it doesn't even have a thing to like hold the pen in place yeah and it's like only comes in white or black or not black i remember you said maybe it's made out of better materials and you know you were trying to justify it to yourself so Mm -hmm. you wouldn't go back and return it and it's like maybe it is made out of better materials but also you could buy five of those for the same price it did have a better better feel on it that the texture and like the well it is better material than whatever this garbage is but who cares (laughs) i mean that case is basically disposable at this point uh yeah pretty much (laughs) just waiting for it to break (laughs) Welcome back to the Camera Gear Podcast. I'm Daniel. And I'm Lucas. And we're back today to talk more about the gear we use for photo and video. So what are we talking about today? Okay, let's resolve on the iPad just real quick. For one, resolve on the iPad only supports 18.5. And so I had to upgrade to 18.5 beta on my computer in order to like share projects. Mm -hmm. You complained about this last week too. Ah, no. But now we're on 18.5 beta and Daniel... Oh my gosh. Some of those features are so good. Yeah. Oh, like the 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 transcript feature. I just can't. I can't. It's, it's too like too much for you. You you can like right click on it, then you hit make a transcript, and then it makes a transcript, and then you highlight the text, and then it highlights the mm. in and out points on the video, and you just be like, insert. And so I, I took the text, threw it down to my iPad, and I like highlighted all the stuff that I wanted and then I numbered all my highlights from like 1 to 23 and then I went into resolve on my computer and I was like highlight insert highlight insert boom story it was great that sounds like a great workflow for doing interview stuff yeah it's like you can like see the whole story in front of you and like read it and understand it instead of having to like listen to it and go over yeah. and over and over and trying to remember like wait which clip was that or like yeah. just even like we've done it with other people where we did an interview and someone else sent us they're like we want all these clips and I'm like now we have to like find those parts yeah. and then cut them out put them in Mm -hmm. for this you can just like search the word i was like oh where's that word uh antenna boom that word antenna wasn't in it (laughs) i was was wondering if we listened to different interviews (laughs) oh i don't know what you're editing lucas (laughs) but it's great that's super great yeah so i'm into all i'm into all those neat features my psa about this is that i was trying to use that transcript feature and i couldn't find it and i couldn't figure out why i couldn't find it and that's when i learned that there's a separate beta download for resolve studio yeah, you, you got to make sure you got to get the right one. And a lot of them are feature locked. Mm-hmm. So that's what happened to me. So caveat being that I was using the original, the non-studio version. So maybe that's some of it. But I, I have had a couple of weird bugs since I've been using the beta. Same. So the things that I've run into, one is that sometimes audio just stopped playing in the viewer. Like I would want to watch my multicam clip to listen to it, find the right clip, and then drop it down. Audio just stopped working. I could play audio from the timeline, but I couldn't play audio from the viewer. And that started working just randomly at some point. I restarted Resolve and it didn't didn't fix it. But just at some point later, it started working again. 
that was strange. The other thing is, I just feel like, for me at least, the performance in the timeline just hasn't been quite as good. It almost seems like sometimes I've gotten a couple of weird little lags and stuff. And I know they changed some things with the playback engine. So I'm sure it's just a beta bug and I'm not worried about it. But it just feels like it hasn't been quite as reliable. Maybe that's a, a warning. If you're in Resolve every day and doing serious work in it, then it is still a little rough around the edges. Yeah, we, we probably shouldn't have upgraded. I just, whatever. I, I think it's fine. Like it's, it's Yeah, every, all the core features probably work. Anything that they were working on that's related. And like timeline optimization was one of the big, big features. And yeah. I haven't had that problem. Also, haven't noticed it being significantly better or worse. Mm. But we haven't done anything super, super heavy yet. Once yeah. we start grading the thing that we're working on now, I'll be able to kind of tell, mm. like, is it better on my computer or not? Yeah. It's hard to say. And, like, it's entirely possible that they've optimized it for, like, lower end computers or something. It's like maybe the things that are supposed to be better aren't things that really affect us. I don't know. We'll yeah. See. We'll see. So on the iPad, you can do that whole shortcut key thing to enable other windows. I definitely did that. And some of the stuff works cool. You know, uh, one of the things I noted is like, you can't make proxies on the iPad, which yeah. is kind of a bummer. Yeah, it's I was a still like about that. an ancillary device. And it would be nice to be able to like, if I'm on a trip and I want to bring like just my iPad, it would be cool to start making my proxies or something. I sure. don't know. It has less RAM, but it has the same CPU, you know, right. like it's an M2. So. Yeah, maybe it's like, they just haven't quite figured out the whole, you know, you have to leave the app open and in the yeah, front and whatever. And maybe it's on battery. It and I don't know. Maybe it's more complicated than we think. And they just, they're not ready to release those other screens. But yeah. what I found is that um, you can do, you can do certain things in certain tabs. And if the cut tab doesn't have those same features, you're kind of out of luck. Uh, for instance, I had, I had two clips, two clips, like a track one, track two, and then audio. And all of these were linked together because I was going through and I'm like cutting and moving and in resolving the edit tab, it's a little easier to, it's like easier to work if you can just hit command B and then cuts all the clips. And so I have two tracks. I didn't want to do multicam because um, I knew that I was going to want to maybe offset them some. And so I just linked everything and I went through and, you know, command B and then grab the trim tool and just, you know, adjust the trim, slide it around. And you can do that for all three tracks at once because they're linked. And so that was my workflow. And I left all of them linked. There's no way to unlink tracks in the cut tab. Interesting. And so I was trying to fine tune my cut and like finish this video that I started on my computer on the iPad. And I was like, I cut a clip and I'm like, okay, now I just want to disable the top clip. Mm-hmm. No way to do it without disabling the whole thing, without going on my computer, going into the edit tab, unlinking them. Oh, that's annoying. And then, and then I can do it. And is so, there a, is there a keyboard shortcut for that? Oh dang, maybe that that, that would maybe be the way to do it. But like, you can't invoke keyboard shortcuts without a keyboard. Yeah, you could if you had your little foldy Bluetooth thing. I'm just saying, yeah. like if I just whipped out my foldy keyboard, there we go. Because there was something I don't know what it was, but there was something like that that I hit where I was thinking I kind of need a keyboard to do what I want to do, and I guess I just can't do that now, and that's yeah. a, little, a little annoying. There's just some things like that where they have that really cool feature in the cut tab where you can watch all the videos. But if you have one video that's two minutes long and then all your other videos are 10 seconds long, it's really hard to like get the granularity on that thing. And you can't, it's hard to like make the window bigger. I did finally figure out how to make the window bigger on mm-hmm. the cut tab. Can't do it on the on the uh, color tab. I'm used to working on a 13 inch screen. And what I'll do is like, okay, now I'm working on this one edit for this color. And so I'll hide the clips row and the timeline row to make the viewer bigger. Yeah. And you just can't do it on the iPad. And so you're stuck with a really small window, mm. which is kind of a bummer. I bet they're going to fix a lot of that stuff. I mean, using Resolve on the iPad really does feel kind of like a technology preview where it's like you get an idea of what's possible, but yep. it, it's like you can see the potential. It and, works and I, really and, well. And I do think they're going to get there. I think they're going to add those features, but it's, it's just going to take them time. Yeah. So that's basically what I'm getting at is like, 
it's not quite there, but I can like make some progress and do a little bit of work. I wish it was, I wish it was better. Yeah. And so, you know, they're, they're moving so quick. I bet it's going to get there yeah. and I'm excited to see what happens. I'm excited to like be able to use my iPad for it. Yeah. Same here. Right. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of in the boat right now where I don't really feel like I can use it for anything that I'm doing. I mean, most of the stuff we've done lately has been multi-cam interview stuff, which doesn't really work great on the cut tab anyway. And so it's mostly just kind of been fun to play with, I guess. Yeah. Uh, but I'm looking forward to the, to the next update because I feel like they're going to keep improving it. I'm going to do, I'm going to start cutting through. I did that interview like a year ago. And so I have, it was like three days. And I think I have, I don't know, like 12 hours or 16 hours of footage. And I was going to start going through that. And I thought I would do that on the iPad in the cut tab but yeah. i guess those are those are all multi-cam yeah it just depends on how so you want to edit it i mean can't you do couldn't i create a multi-cam in the edit tab and then in the cut tab i can i guess i can't really play back and do in and outs in the cut tab with the multi-cam and that not way. with a multi-cam you can do the synced clip thing and then you can basically cut everything from one angle and then with the sync clip thing you can drop in the other one when you want it which really i think is probably a fine workflow mm. It's different. I just don't want to have to like do all of my main cut in the cut tab. I want to do it in the edit tab on yeah. the computer, but I want, but you can only do it in the cut tab on the iPad. Yeah, I don't know something to figure out. I'll, I guess maybe I'll report back or whatever on it later. Mm-hmm. I probably won't. Yeah, you probably won't. Oh, well. you don't. You don't like talking very much about DaVinci nope. Resolve. No, I hate it. It's yeah. terrible. <laughs> Let's talk about some camera gear, Daniel. All right, that does sound like an appropriate topic for this podcast. What camera gear is there? Uh, well. You know, there was there was a whole list of NAB stuff that I, that I wrote down for us to talk about. You know, first one obviously was going to be the Inspire Three, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, comes flying in was a new opponent appears. Did I get that right? New contestant, a new challenger, no, a new challenger appears. It wasn't a challenger; it was another DJI product. Mm, and it, and you say it flew in, huh? Yeah, huh? Uh, huh? Uh. It's a uh, the Ma- Mavic Three Pro. A Mavic 3 Pro Cine. I gotta say, I thought the Mavic 3 Pro already existed. I honestly had the same thought. I was like, <laughs> why are there all of a sudden a bunch of videos for a drone that's existed for eight months? And then you remembered that there was a Mavic 2 Pro, but then when they released the Mavic 3, it was just the Mavic 3. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So what's the difference? I think the main difference is that the new one has a third camera. Because they just keep wanting to add cameras to these things, right? Exactly. I think they have a wide 24 millimeter and then a medium tele that's like 70 millimeter. And then, I don't know what they call it, like a super telephoto that's 166. 166 millimeter. Yeah, Yeah, they're selling it as a 1X, a 3X, and a 7X. That's pretty good. That is pretty cool. Yeah, and like they're, they're pretty good. So just like the Mavic 3... That main camera is a micro, is a four third sensor that's the size. Wi- the wide one. The wide one. Mm-hmm, exactly. So that's basically the same Hasselblad sensor from previous adjustable aperture, just like the Mavic Three. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you just you get that extra one sixty six, that seven X zoom. Actually, I don't think I don't remember what was on the what was on the Mavic Three. Was it a, like a three X or a two X? I feel like it wasn't a seven X. That seems really no, no. The seven X is definitely new, but I'm trying to remember if it was also of like. You had the like the seventy and the twenty four. Yeah, I don't, I don't quite remember. So, three lenses, you know, adjustable aperture, all this sort of thing. Uh, I guess that's the main thing. It seems like they added a lot of new like flying features as well. Okay, I haven't, I haven't actually looked at it that much. So, what, what did you see that they added? I'm gonna see what they added. You tell me what the the zoom was on the Mavic Three. All right, that sounds good. Okay, so 
it looks like like some of the collision detection stuff, and I think a little bit of it was like they released it, all these things from the the new Inspire three, and now like some of them are coming to the Mavic three Pro. It seems like they have this like top down collision detection you know mode. The big sell was obviously the you know the lenses. They added battery time. I think the flight is like forty three minutes or something like that. It doesn't look like you can switch cameras while you're recording. Okay. Because like each camera has its own. Well, they're different sensors for one thing. Yeah, they're different sensors. So they have different modes like 5.1K on the 7X. Mm-hmm. Uh, but and but I can only go to like 30 frames per second. And then they have, you know, like a low light mode. But that you can only do on the wide camera. And the low light mode is supposed to be like really, really good as far as ISO performance. That kind of stuff gets kind of annoying. Like it, it reminds me of. I don't remember what camera it was, but it reminds me of some of the previous cameras we've talked about where they have all these different modes you can shoot in, but it's just like each one has a caveat, you know, like there's a different crop in each mode and stuff uh, like I that. I think that's an FX30, isn't it? Yeah, that does sound familiar, you know, and it's just like there's all these weird things you have to remember when you shoot with it, you know, and like if you want to use it to the best of its ability, it's like you have to memorize all that stuff. And like, I get it. I'm glad they're pushing the limits, but that gets kind of annoying. Yeah, it, it does get a little annoying, but you know, it's, I don't know. It kind of at least they give you like the full potential yeah. of each sensor and that sort of thing. And there is an option to use an explore mode. And explore mode will it basically sets everything to auto. Oh. And that okay. way you don't have to think about like yeah. this sensor can't do this thing, this sensor can't do this thing. And then you can switch lenses while recording and flying. Oh, interesting. But you just can't like force the ISO or anything. It just yeah. stays in auto mode. Yeah, it's like you're you're accepting lower quality or less control. Yeah, and it fixes it fixes it to like 4K 30 I or see. something like that. So you can't shoot in, you know, mm-hmm. the higher higher frame rates and that sort yeah. of thing. It, I guess it's like a, a common denominator. Exactly. Thing. Yeah, because the wide sensor you can shoot, I think, 240 frames per second up to. Okay. Uh, and it's it's pretty decent on like the, the mm-hmm. old Air 2, which was really, really noisy. Yeah. Uh, but obviously, you can't shoot that fast on the the tighter lens. Right. It seems like, you know, with the Pro stuff, they've also added a lot of, like, adjustable features. Things like you can change how fast the drone will turn. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, well, it's because, you know, if you're shooting, you know, 70, 70 mil or 166 mil, whenever the drone spins, it's going to look like it's going way faster <laughs> yeah. compared to wide. Right. And so it just spins slower. But if mm. you don't want that, you can override it and oh, make it cool. spin faster. I wonder if they also let you change the obstacle avoidance stuff, because I know that's something I saw like on the on Inspire 3 that we're going to talk about in a moment, where you can actually change when it warns you, depending on like the situation you're in. And that seems like a pretty useful pro feature. Yeah, I don't know. I know that you can customize some of the things that go off and the the built-in like obstacle avoidance seems like it's pretty good. I was watching yeah. some videos where they were trying to make it crash. Like they set it to auto track somebody and you know walking near trees and going through awnings and stuff. Mm-hmm. And it, it made it every time. Oh, cool. But you do have the ability to like, oh, I'm in cine mode and I want to like turn off these trackings. It makes sense. And so you do have some uh, adjustability, but I don't know to yeah. what extent. Kind of along the lines of what you were saying about the sensors and, you know, kind of like how they each have different abilities. Interesting difference between the original Mavic 3 and this Mavic 3 Pro. The original Mavic 3 had the the wide lens like the 24 millimeter 
and it had the super telephoto, so it had 162 uh, millimeter. Oh, so it's the middle yeah, one that's new. It's weird that they've added in this middle 3x zoom, and I don't know if that's because they just discovered that a lot of people really wanted that specific zoom range, or if it's so that they could use some type of different sensor that gives them you know more capabilities. But I thought it's interesting if they added one in the middle rather than increasing the maximum zoom or something like that. That is pretty interesting. The size difference between the 70 mil and the 166 is basically nothing. It's like one over 1.2 and one over 1.3 or whatever. So they're both roughly a one inch sensor. It's got to just be for stylistic choice then. It's, I mean, it's a, it's a cool option. I like, yeah. I like that you can get that mid, for mid sure. zoom and, you know, I don't know. It's yeah. pretty neat. And not much of a price premium over the Mavic 3. I think it's like $150 more. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't actually see the price. I know mm-hmm. that these are all still expensive. Aren't they like $4,000? Um, I think you can get the... So the Cine one is more expensive. That's the one that has like the internal hard drive and all that. Right. ProRes. Uh, if you get the non-Cine Pro, I want to say it's like 3000 with the Flymore kit. So, I mean, it, it is expensive, but... I mean, it's not like it's not as expensive as their true pro level stuff. Right, right. And that seems pretty good though for what you get. Three thousand bucks for what you get, and yeah. like you can get pretty far with their sub one thousand dollar like mini mini two pro or mini yeah. three pro. I mean, honestly, yeah. With the with the Air two S and with the mini three pro, I feel like those have really satisfied like the travel market. Right. And so when you get into something like this, you're wanting to like film things, you know, or you're doing paid work, that kind of thing. And so, I mean, I think the price is in line with that use case. Sure. And it does seem to differentiate itself in that, you know, it has these three cameras. The ISO performance is good. The images coming out of these Mm -hmm. things is pretty phenomenal. Adjustable aperture. That's a really big feature. Yeah. The adjustable is pretty nice. Mm -hmm. Uh, They added some waypoint capabilities where you can pre-program routes. That was previously something you would have to use a different app Mm -hmm. in order to do. And so now with the Mavic 3 Pros, you can... Yeah, pre-program its its route and then have it have it rerun those yeah, multiple times. That's a useful feature for sure, especially yeah, for like you know commercial type work. Like if you're doing inspections or something, you know if you can just run the same route every time, it's definitely useful. Mm-hmm. Yep, and you get you do get like with the with the Cine version, you get ProRes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think ProRes raw, or is it just regular ProRes? Uh, I think it might just be ProRes. Yeah, I think you're right. And then you get, you know, your H.265s and you can shoot in a a couple different log profiles, the D-Log and then, uh, is it called D-Log? And they have like this other D-Cine something that's slightly Mm -hmm. less flat, but still a log profile for you to use. And the flight time on it is also incredible. I think actually on the Pro, it's a little bit shorter, I think. I think it's like 43 minutes instead of 46 or something like that. It was some negligible amount. But that's a really long flight time. It's much longer than most of their drones, so it's pretty useful. Yeah, yeah, it all looks pretty good. You can get it. You can get it to work with the the separate controller, and I don't know. It's a it's a nice upgrade over uh, over the Mavic Three. Yeah, lots of I good mean, ads. Honestly, I one hundred and fifty dollars difference at the prices these things cost. I would get this over the Mavic Three. Yeah, I probably would too. If you're spending that much, it's like just. Go all the way. Yeah. I think that the question is like, do you go Cine or not? And that maybe comes down to whether or not do you need ProRes and do you want that internal one terabyte storage? Yeah. Yeah. That's a much harder question, I think. I don't know. I feel like the people that know that they need that internal storage and need ProRes know it. They know their workflows. Yeah. And then also at that point, like the price doesn't probably matter as much. Yeah, probably not. Pretty cool, though. Yeah, pretty cool. Neat, Neat upgrade. Not as neat as the new Inspire 3. Yes, that's really what we were kind of expecting to talk about because that one was announced like last week or something. Yeah, that one is insane. Yeah. It's just, 
They have the Inspire 2 came out in 2016. Yeah, which is an eternity ago. I mean, that one felt like it was way overdue for an update. And, pe- and I mean, we talked on this show six months ago, you know, wondering when the Inspire 3 is going to come out. And here it is. Yep. Okay. So I'm going to run through some of the specs. Okay. Have you seen this video that they shot of Japan? I, I watched their. Uh, announcement of it. I don't know if I saw like the cinematic version of it, but I saw a bunch of clips from that video. Okay, I have a few things to say about this, and so I'm going to make you watch this video while I uh, give a rundown of the specifications. Okay, yeah, that's so good. just wa- watch this video right here. All right, I got it. I can see it. Okay, feel free to give me any thoughts as as this is coming through. Uh, if anything pops up in your head, just uh, interrupt me. So the DJI Inspire Three full frame sensor. Previously was not. I think it was a four thirds or that sort of thing. You can shoot in 8K raw up to 75 frames per second. <laughs> can you say that number again for me? <laughs> no. <laughs> 8K, 75 frames. <laughs> I barely, barely can't say it. Impossible. 75 frames per second. You can shoot 8.1K up to 25 frames per second. And that is in either Cinema DNG or ProRes RAW crazy this is a custom sensor made specifically for this drone it's not anything else and the low iso performance and the noise performance is crazy have you gotten to any of the nighttime footage yes yeah this this nighttime footage is incredible i mean i've never seen anything this clear from a drone it looks crazy it really does i mean this is yeah this is super impressive When when i watched that video that you're looking at I thought it was a video game. I was like, this doesn't look real. <laughs> well, well, one of the reasons this video doesn't look real is because none of this stuff would be legal in the U.S. I know. <laughs> <laughs> that was the other thing. They're like flying way over 400, 400 feet, like coming down through clouds, flying over people, yeah. going the places they flew. I'm like, can't do that. Can't do that. Can't do that. <laughs> what kind of permits do they get yeah. for this thing? I guess that's what you can do in your DJI. Plus, this drone probably weighs like, what, a thousand pounds? <laughs> Golly. Yeah, so super not legal, probably. Let me run through a few other things. You can shoot 4K 120, no crop. It has a dual native ISO built in, which is a pretty big deal. Mm-hmm. They have a separate FPV camera just for the pilot. Yeah. Now, now I will say, the Inspire 2 also had that. Oh, it did? Yeah. So it had a camera for the pilot. Now, I think they've made it better in this one. I don't want to say something say, say something that's wrong, but I think the big change they've made is that the FPV camera in the Inspire 3 is lower latency. They also made it wider. It's 161 mm-hmm. degrees. Which is really meaningful. So, I mean, I've done a lot of FPV, and it's really not comparable to something like a Mavic. Because if you try and fly a Mavic, like you're getting a little bit of lag. You can't really fly that close to obstacles because, mm-hmm. I mean, you you know if you've flown a drone, like sometimes the image just suddenly jumps forward or whatever, you know, and you can't really trust it. And so I think in the Inspire 3, they've made it lower latency so that you can get some FPV style shots with it. And then having that wider angle also lets you fly closer to obstacles because you can just see more of what's around you. So that's a pretty big difference. They also said that they removed the the roll stabilization on the FPV camera. Mm-hmm. Like you don't, you don't want that when you're flying FPV. Yeah. And that was a problem with the, 
Inspire 2 that they then removed because of yeah. feedback. And it actually made it simpler, too, because the Inspire 2 has it on a little two-axis gimbal on the front. And so that's more moving parts, right? Yeah. Because like, it's doing that. And I think on the Inspire 3, it's more integrated into the body, you know, right. because it exactly. doesn't have that role. It's just a simpler mechanism. So that's that's nice. And they also separ- they have separate transmitters now, mm-hmm. essentially, um, or channels for the pilot and the camera operator. And so now they, you don't have to have your, your pilot right next to the camera operator. Your camera guy can be like by the DP over here. And mm-hmm. then your pilot can be in visual line of sight to the drone wherever they're flying. Yep. And yeah, and I mean, that's that's like one of the big headlining features of this drone mm-hmm. is that it lets you have two operators. And so you right. can have one person that's just operating the camera separate from the pilot. And being able to aim that camera separately from the pilots also, like, you can get so many shots that you can't get with something like a map. Right. And to clarify, that's always been an Inspire thing. Mm-hmm. But the difference in Inspire 2 was that it was one radio signal. And so the pilot had to be, like, close to yeah. the camera operator because they were kind of running on the same thing. And yep. so by separating it, like, and do this lower latency. Yep. And it's just a huge improvement. And uh, it looks like it can go for 94 miles an hour. Uh, I don't know if that's right. I think that might be 94 kilometers per hour. What? Boo. Yeah. Boo. <laughs> Boo. Which is a little bit slower. Okay, fine. Still pretty quick. Mm-hmm. And I think you can do like a 10 meter per second dive. Yeah. Which I don't know if that's good or not. I, I don't no know idea. if it is either, but I, I mean, I, they were clearly trying to get some workflows of like chasing cars, that sort of thing. It's not going to be comparable to like an FPV race drone for that sort of thing. No. But, but you can still do some how, stuff. How heavy is this thing? That's a good question. I don't know the answer to that. Because it has the two batteries, and I think the Inspire 2 also had two batteries, but you get two batteries on it. It gives you a total flight time of 28 minutes. And I think you can hot swap the batteries, which is kind of cool because that means you could land and swap out your batteries without having to power everything down. Yep. Like, that's that's a big plus. Yeah, it's kind of a, it's, a, it's a big deal. It looks like it's 4,000 grams. Okay. So four kilograms. So, so that's about uh, eight to 10 pounds. Yeah. Somewhere in that range. So not light. It looks like it has a maximum takeoff weight of 4.31 kilograms. Okay. So you can add an extra 310 grams of mm-hmm. payload if you need yeah, to. It's not very much, but. Yep. I mean, honestly, it sounds like a lot, but what this is competing against is Cinelifter drones. So that's basically like a really heavy-duty FPV drone, custom-built, using normal FPV-type technology, and then you put something like a cinema camera on it. And people have been using these for a pretty long time, and, you know, you can find videos on YouTube of them. You know, you put like a, you know, FX30 or even like an FX6 or something on one of these and, and fly it around. And that's kind of what this was competing against. And so in that context, things like the weight and things like the cost, which we'll get to soon, are really pretty reasonable. Yeah. And it seems like they've made some huge improvements over the Inspire 2. Yeah. And they they improved the legs on this thing. And so what they were finding is like people are using using these to take off like from hand rather than like placing on ground because maybe you just don't know where you're going to take off. And so they built it, which imagine like holding out this... (laughs) <laughs> 10 pound drone with two hands this is why you saw that picture of the guy wearing a helmet yeah <laughs> terrifying <laughs> and you can also like catch it and stop it oh, like that <laughs> interesting i didn't see that and so they built the legs so you can actually hold them but then also the legs will go from like a down position to an up position and mm. so they'll move up or down depending upon what you're doing and the main reason for this was that on the spire 2 if you wanted to get a shot looking up you had to remount the camera mm-hmm. and now you can have the legs go into like a down mode and then the camera can look up up to 80 degrees which yep. is almost yep. vertical and not get the props in there mm-hmm. and then if you need it to fly faster the legs can go into an upward position and then you're able to fly faster and yeah. do more of your maneuverabilities i think that the inspire 2 also had movable legs 
And I think the main reason for it was that, you know, you've got this camera hanging down underneath the drone on a gimbal and you need to be able to land the drone. So you need your legs to poke down far enough that you can land it. Right. And so I think that maybe even, maybe even the Inspire one did this. I think they've all kind of operated in that way where the legs kind of swing up after it takes off because that way your gimbal can move 360 degrees without getting the legs in view. Right. And so the, the thing that they've changed on the Inspire 3 is that like the default state of it flying is with the legs up. But now they've added that tilt up mode and they kind of cleverly did that where the legs swing down so that you can get like an unobstructed view toward the top. So pretty cool. It's just it's crazy to me what this thing can do yeah. while flying. I just don't I don't believe it. Well, like, like it's let's, it's let's talk about some of the navigation stuff because that was pretty neat, too. Right, go for it. So, you know, it's got all the same obstacle avoidance stuff that you see on the Mavics. I think it probably has more sensors than the Mavics have. I mentioned a little earlier in this show that you can uh, adjust how far away it notifies you. So if you're flying through like a tight alleyway or something, you can make it, uh, you know, adjust that distance. It looks like it has the whole like 360 cam top down view that you get in cars. Yeah. I don't know how that works. I don't know exactly what was, what was going on with that. Yeah. I don't, I don't know either. Yeah. Unclear. Unclear. Um, but in terms of like the navigation stuff, it has the same waypoint thing that's on the Mavic 3 Pro where you can set waypoints in the app and have it go between them. You can do something that's kind of like active track. Their, their feature is called Spotlight, I think, where you tell it you want to track a car or a person or whatever. And I think the camera keeps that in frame and you can do whatever you want with the drone, you know, to fly the drone and it tracks it. So that all seemed really neat. And then... Do you know what this RTK thing was? Yeah, so this is like a separate a separate device that you mount on a pole and it's an additional point for the drone to use for its tracking beyond just like GPS and that sort of thing. And whenever you're using this, it allows the drone to repeat flight patterns with up to a 10 centimeter accuracy. Yeah, that's crazy. It's centimeters. Crazy. <laughs> it's like, okay, now we have this shot. And I know we don't have to like rig out a robot arm or the or all this other stuff or mm-hmm. whatever where we need to do a repeatable, repeatable shot. You just program it in and the drone will do it almost exactly yeah. the same every they, time. They called that like 3D dolly. I yeah, think. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That was that was super cool. It's incre- it's incredible. Mm-hmm. And that combined with the waypoint thing, they also showed an example of like, let's say you're doing a time lapse and you want to start it during the day, but then like halfway through the time lapse, switch it to night. You can just run the exact same path yep. multiple times. Yeah, and they did that in that video I showed you where like they did the whole like glitch effect and then went to night. Yeah. It's like, how do they, how do, they do that? And it's, you know, that's how. Yeah. I mean, this thing is just, it's so cool. Yeah, it's, it's a little unbelievable the things it can do. It's a DL mount on the camera, which we said was full frame. Mm-hmm. And then they have their DL mount lenses. And so I was looking at, I don't, I was trying to remember what the Ronin 40S uses. I think it can use DL. Yeah, I think it has it has a DL. So mount shared option. shared operation with the Ronin 4D, in addition to using the same kind of hard drive. Mm-hmm. So you they have these. They're basically like USB C NVMe drives, and it'll plug into the drone, copy it, and then you take it out, and it has a USB C port on it, so you can just plug it into wherever you're going to copy the data from. And that drive is the same drive that they use on the 4DS. Oh, okay. So if you're fully invested in DJI stuff, you can use those across the mm-hmm. system. Yeah. And I think you can actually use, like, you know, DJI is kind of building up this whole pro lineup of gear. So they have their DJI transmission thing. It's like a wireless transmitter. Yep. And you know, because they have stuff like the uh, RS3 Pro gimbal and the Ronin 4D, 
uh, cinema camera, they have like a handheld follow focus unit and stuff like that. And I think you can use that stuff with this drone. Right. right. So, you know, if you if you're fully invested in DJI and you have a DJI follow focus and a DJI monitor, I think like the monitor can receive the signal from this drone and you can pull focus with that. And I mean, it just seems like they're designing a whole system of things that work together. Yeah, it's it's pretty incredible. I was looking at what lenses you can get for this thing, and it looks like there's just kind of a mix of third party and some DJI lenses. Uh, it looks like you know most of your most of your prime focal lengths. They have one zoom that's like a seventeen to twenty eight, and then they have like a nine, an eighteen, a twenty four, a thirty five, and fifty. Okay. Um, I didn't see anything longer than fifty, but maybe I just wasn't looking in the right spot. You, I wonder if you can uh, adapt DL mount to anything else. I think it comes down to that three hundred and ten spare grams that right. you have on the payload capacity. Good point. And maybe that has to do with like accounting for the weight of the lenses. That might be why that some of these are just a little slower. They're not, you know, f one point eight or anything. You're flying something up in the air, you know, like like you you have some limitations on what you can really do at a wide aperture. Sure, sure. But I mean, with ten centimeter accuracy, you know, you could you could kind of plan out a route and plan out a focus thing, and you know, hit your mark, and there it is. That's true. So it seems seems pretty good. It looks like fourteen stops at dynamic range on the sensor. With that dual ISO, I mean, it's like you're flying in like an A7 III in the sky. <laughs> A7 S3, sorry. Pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to overstate how good that footage looks. Like, you need to put that video in the show notes so people can watch it. I mean, oh, I, yeah. I've never seen nighttime footage like that from a drone. I still think it's a deep fake. Like, <laughs> I, maybe AI it's the 60 FPS or something, but I'm watching. I'm like, no, this is this is like Unreal Engine 5. <laughs> they're going to they're gonna come out and be like, just kidding. Not real. I think it's real. It's it's insane. Yeah. It's just crazy. Seriously, watch that video. Yep. Wow. And all all that, it, I, I really think the price is impressively low for what it is. It's $16,500, <laughs> which, you know, yeah, that's a lot. Like, you and I aren't going to go out and buy one of these. But, I mean, for the type of work that this is for, you know, for making movies, it's really not that much money. I was honestly expecting this to be more like $50,000. Yeah. Way it, more expensive. It, it feels like it brings together a lot of technology that's traditionally been very expensive. Right. And uh, they managed to get it down to pretty close to what the old one cost. Yeah. I feel like a fully loaded Inspire 2 wasn't too far off from that. Yeah, And I guess they're going to sell this for another nine years or something. Maybe so. Maybe they will. I mean, there's there's hardly any cinema cameras that can meet the level of a performance of this sensor. Yeah. So, I mean, this thing has a lot of legs to it. And wings. <laughs> Well, props. Yeah. It's pretty neat. I, I'm kind of curious, actually, whether the Inspire 2 is going to come down in price as a result of I mean, this. We probably can find some, like, you know, deals or something or used, yeah. whatever. I might have to find an old Inspire 2. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That'd be crazy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Sell those services. There Here we go. go. Yeah. yeah. Man, I uh, I know that MakeArt now is supposed to come out with a video on the Inspire 3. They talked about it on that interview with him and Gerald Undone. Mm-hmm. And I think, like, Gerald did some dynamic range testing on the sensor oh, okay. uh, using like the xylitart and that sort of thing mm-hmm. so i'm really pumped to see those results yeah because like looking at the low on noise iso performance and they're you know advertising 14 stops but so does canon canon's like look at the r7 it's got 16 stops of dynamic range and it's like no it has it has 12 stops yeah. of dynamic range and you're being ridiculous mm-hmm. it's like that's the full capability of the sensor and not like what you're actually going to get as far as usable clean stops sure so i want to know is like is this thing really 11 or is it like 14 we'll see 
We will it, see. it seemed like the camera in this seems like a big step forward because it's, I mean, and not just because it's a newer drone, but it seems like the Inspire 2 camera was not really remarkable. I mean, it was probably like in line with other things you could get, you could get at the time. Whereas this seems like it's legitimately a competitive and good camera to be putting on a drone. Yeah, no kidding. So really cool. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just not even in the same league as the Mavic 3 Pro and the like. Like this is what kind of makes me wonder what the market is for the Mavic 3 Cine, because I see that and I'm like, okay, it's for pro work. Like I get that, but this just has so many more capabilities, and I know it's like five times more expensive, but. I just feel like the types of production that need like really high end aerial stuff, this just seems like what you would want. I don't know. I think it's a I think it's a matter of scale. If you're using the Inspire, you have two pilots. You probably have a whole crew and all this stuff. If you're using the Mavic Pro three or Mavic Pro three three Pro, whatever Cine, it's like maybe it's just you, or maybe your production is a much smaller crew, and you have like yeah. one operator. And so it's like you you need something that can get decently good footage, but isn't you know doesn't require all the all the crew and everything in order to get like a full full scale production. Yeah. And so I think it's I guess that's true. it's like it hits that middle market where you have all the consumer stuff for your YouTubers and your people who just want to casually fly, and then you have these you know here's my twenty thousand dollar film thing that I'm shooting or documentary, and I only can afford like the one drone pilot, and you know now you have this. Mavic Pro 3 yeah. Pro Cine that looks really good and it has all this range and has all this capability. But then for the big productions, the Hollywood productions, you can you can go inspire. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Anyway, really cool stuff. Really glad they released this. All right. Let's uh let's wrap up with some NAB lightning round stuff. Yeah, that sounds pound, good. Pound through keep... uh, this whole list here. That way we don't have to talk about any more NAB <laughs> ever again. Good luck. And uh we'll kind of kind of see what you think. All so, right, let's see it. Okay. So first one here, we have some upgrades to the Laowa Probe Lens. This just makes me want a Probe Lens more. Uh, I didn't realize that they updated it a little while back with a 90-degree field of view. Do you know what the what the angle of view was on the previous Probe? I do not know what it was. I, th- I think what it is is it's a little wider than it was. 90 is pretty wide. Like super, super wide, but it's reasonably wide. So it made it wider, but then they added this 360-degree collar on it so that you can spin the image. Oh. Without spinning the camera. Oh, that's cool. Uh-huh. Yeah. So you can like run it through something and then have it going like 360. Uh, and you know people want to do that. Uh-huh. So, yeah. yeah. That's a nice little addition. Yeah. Yep. Super fun. Super fun. You don't have to like rig up your whole camera gear and have like the whole rig turning. Yeah. And you just do like a little. Very cool. Yeah. That probe lens is a blast. I mean, it's like $1,800. So that's why I don't have one, but it just seems like a lot of fun. Yeah. Super cool. I have this Exibo um, Cinerobotic virtual production thing that costs seven thousand dollars and i can't remember what it is but i wrote it down <laughs> you don't you can't tell me anything about what i get for seven thousand no it's like this um uh boy it's a less complex like slide contraption thing that you can use uh instead of a like a robot arm interesting we have like the robot arm you pre-program it this one uses like ai or whatever i don't know but it's it's like way cheaper and that's all i got I don't have much to work with on that, but seven thousand sounds like a lot of money. <laughs> sure, I think okay. I'd rather I'd rather not buy two of those and buy an Inspire three. Okay, moving on. Don't buy two of those. Buy Inspire three, and then you can get the the DRTK thing and then do the same there thing. You go. Yeah. Anyway, new nanomorphs got a sixty five and an eighty millimeter. Oh man, now you have to buy more of them. I know. 
You were already struggling to buy the three, and now you got to buy two more? What were, what were the other focal lengths of the previous Nanomorphs? Do you oh, remember? Oh, I don't remember. I think they were wider, right? It was like, there's like a 24 and a 40 and... Yeah, it was like a... Here, here, here we go. 27, 35, and 50. Okay. Yeah, and so now you got a 65 and an 80. Interesting. That's pretty good. Yeah, Man, I would... I think now now that they have these and I have I know what I like and what what I'd use and thinking about anamorphic, I feel like I would go eighty, get that long puppy, and then mm, thirty five or twenty seven, I can't decide. Yeah. You you don't need both of those. Like you don't need a thirty five and a twenty seven. You can probably get by with just one. Mm-hmm. And then yeah, I would want the eighty. I mean the fifty to me would be the other obvious choice, like get something in the middle, but Right, so something I, I you don't think about much is like what's the equivalent field of view, and so maybe I need to like look at the angle of view on these anamorphics and then compare that angle of view to other super thirty five lenses. That made like a non anamorphic lens. Yeah, yeah, because like at a two x squeeze, forty is like twenty four, and so like thirty five, kind of like that. As you know, maybe that's that's pretty good. Maybe yeah. 20, I will, maybe would prefer twenty seven a little more. But if that's like as wide as a 16, I mean, maybe that's too wide. Yeah, maybe so. What am I, what am I saying, Daniel? It's not too wide. <laughs> Could be wider. <laughs> Are these the same price as the other Animorphs? I don't know. I would assume they are. The, the other three were all all the same price. Yeah, roughly right around 1000 bucks, something like that. Yeah, right around $1,000. So that's cool. All right. Uh, also in the show, we had uh, those new DZO lenses that we already talked about. So I'm not going to cover that again. Cool. Like what DZO is doing. Uh, we got this free fl- free fly Ember S five K. Now that sounds like a camera. It is a camera. What is what is that? This is a slow mo camera, and it's going to set you back eighteen thousand dollars. Oh man! But its claim to fame here is that it can shoot five K at six hundred frames per second. Oh wow, that's pretty good. And it has a global shutter, and it shoots ProRes, and it shoots so fast that it doesn't support memory cards, and it just has an internal four terabyte hard drive. <laughs> So you, so I don't have to put a Mac Mini on it like we would have with that old thing. Uh, nope. <laughs> oh yeah, jeez. <laughs> the IE whatever it was. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. No. So you can do. Uh. You know. You know. Like. You know this, right? You know. Read like. How come the cameras don't always support? Uh, you know, full full sensor readout. How come I can't shoot three by two? Well, the reason's read speed, right? Yeah. If you're reading the sensor, you can only read it so fast, and if you chop off vertical resolution. And then you don't have as much to yeah. read, and so you can read faster. And if you can't read it fast enough, then like that limits your frame rate. Yeah. And so on this one, if you want to shoot mega wide, like three to one, that way, you know, cuts down how much of that sensor you have to read at once, you can shoot 5K three to one at a thousand frames wow. per second. Yeah. I mean, I can you. see the use, you know, watching slow motion videos of, you know, things exploding and stuff, really cool. There's a market for this for sure. There was, a, there was another slow-mo camera that was at NAB that I'm having trouble finding information on, and it's one, the one that can shoot um, well over a million frames per second. Oh, yeah. I think I've heard of previous versions of that. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. They had one that came out a few years ago, mm-hmm. and that was the only information I could find, but they have like a new version of it, oh, and just, cool. you know, not a lot of reporting on that. Yeah. Pretty neat, though. Yeah, so cool, cool little slow-mo camera. Uh, obviously, you know, there was... NAB hands out awards as far as like who they think did the coolest thing, and DaVinci Resolve, you know, came away with 18.5 as like big deal release, which we've talked about ad nauseum. So did they get an award for that? Yeah, they did. Uh, you know who else got an award? Fuji. <laughs> what did Fuji get an award for? 
camera to cloud. Uh, I don't I don't agree with that. You don't agree with it? But no. Daniel, think about it. You buy a $1,000 accessory for your camera, slap that grip on there, and now you're a reporter in the field. You're covering you're covering a natural disaster. You're taking pictures of all that aid relief. Those those pictures are just going to the cloud I right mean, away. All the raws, and then you drop your camera in an alligator mouth. You don't even have to worry about it. <laughs> like they're already broadcasting that stuff. I I feel like it's just people are really excited about the possibilities of this thing, like the cloud, you know. And, and there there've been other other products in the same kind of vein, you know. Like Atomos did some stuff with like Atomos Connect or something, and. I mean, it's like everybody has this vision in their mind of how it could be. Yeah. And they think about it like with your phone, you know, where like you take a picture on your phone and it's just like all of a sudden in the cloud service and yep. anybody can download it. And I can definitely see the appeal. I can see why that would be really cool. But it just it feels like this is really early stages of that sort of it's thing. It's like the super pro version. And on your it's like I take a picture with my phone and now it's in Google Photos and I didn't have to think about it. It's just there and I know it's there. Mm-hmm. And like getting pictures off your camera is annoying, right? It's like, ugh, SD yeah, card. it definitely is. Why, why can't I just like upload it to my favorite cloud service or and if, whatever? If it, that feels like a, for consumers, that feels like a big problem that needs to be solved. Mm-hmm. Um, but the solution is not a $1,000 grip yeah. <laughs> and then uh, a frame.io. This is, this is clearly like for pro stuff. And Daniel, if I made a list of every camera that supports a uh, camera to cloud, it's too long. <laughs> As in there's only two cameras on it. <laughs> It's this. It's the Fuji XH2S, and what is the other one? V Raptor from Red. Ah, uh, yeah. So I mean, I don't know. I just made the joke a moment ago about that camera from like SI Labs or whatever it was, whatever company that was. They made the first digital video camera, and you had to put a Mac Mini on it to record the <laughs> yep, footage. Yep. I made that joke, but I mean, that's kind of how this stuff starts, I guess. Is yeah. with something that's like really impractical, really expensive, and that you know only a few pros are going to use. And so I guess this is like the first step and you know if we fast forward five years or 10 years or something that'll be built in it won't cost any extra and we'll just all have that ability sounds great but at the same time why is it taking that long it doesn't seem like it's that complicated my phone can do all that stuff already and it's small it doesn't cost that much i don't know i mean yeah your phone costs about as much as this uh this camera grab yeah uh, I guess that's true, but I mean, you know, <laughs> obviously, like the camera doesn't need, you know, the screen and stuff that my phone has. I, I don't right. know. It's, it it seems like it's farther away than it should be. Yeah, it does seem that way. And this is they're really leaning on this is the first digital stills camera to have this capability, mm-hmm. and that's kind of I guess it is. I mean, it's kind of a big deal, and it looks like it can support like it has a has an Ethernet jack, but it's also Wi Fi built into the grip. And it can do like 600 megabits per second upload, but it still can't handle like full res video. They're like, you can do proxies, which I'm confused because I guess like the X-H2S is recording proxies and regular I, video I, at the same time. I think you may already be able to do that. I think you might be able to record them to the separate cards. Oh, that's right. You so, can do that. Daniel, why are we doing that? <laughs> Maybe we should be. Sorry, I'm thinking about it. Hold on. That might be your iPad answer. Oh my gosh. Oh, Daniel. Daniel, why are we doing this? <laughs> Such a good I idea. I don't think it's as exciting as you do. No, no, I'm doing it. I'm setting up proxy workflow. I think you have to record in ProOS to do it. Nah. I don't care. I'm doing it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start shooting proxies and full at the same time. Well, all right. Oh, this is so cool. <laughs> okay, never mind. All right. Anyways, so I guess you have to use that feature. And then you upload the proxies or you do pictures. Yeah. 
I don't know. It just feels like it's like this is a really cool feature. But they're making such a big deal out of it. Yeah, it it, it feels a little overblown to me, I guess. Like, because yeah. I mean, the, the, they're like shouting this from the rooftops, and I feel like there's about five people that are going to use this, and that that feels like a disconnect. Yeah, I, maybe I'm just the lame one over here, because like you know, firmware version 4.0, you know, here we are at NAB, you know, we're the big deal. Here's cl- camera to cloud. Yeah, and then I'm like. Okay, whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, for us, like, let's be honest, most of it is that $1,000 accessory. Like, we don't want to buy that. Yeah, I don't know. It's like, good job, Fuji. Thanks for listening to my podcast. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Cool. It's cool. It's cool. Just forget everything else. Cool feature. Award-winning camera. Award. Win- I mean, camera of the year 2022. Yeah. Just needs another firmware update. <laughs> so let's not get into that. All right. Let's... Let's talk about something positive. What okay, else, cool. Else you got? Uh, I got this. I am I L M E F R seven. That's a lot of letters. It is, and it's a Sony camera. And from what I can tell, it is basically an FX three on a pan tilt zoom mount. Interesting. Yeah. So you can like rig this up to all your, uh, you know, like broadcast whatever cine stuff, and then you can have it do like move around and do its pre-programmed routes and control it via your board and all this stuff i mean i feel like i want one of those for our broadcast setup because yeah. we've got that little joystick on the uh-huh. a- on the atem controller yep. like you could just move your little camera around that'd be so much fun yeah it's kind of cool so yeah. it i don't i don't know that it's an fx3 for sure but i saw this and i was like there's no way this isn't like the same stinking z710 a whatever zev1 sensor and like it's a 12.1 sensor it's got dual iso and it's the ISO is at eight hundred and twelve thousand eight hundred. I'm like, come on, this is the yeah. same. This is the same sensor. It does sound like the Don't same. tell me it's not. I think Canon may also have one of these PTZ cameras. Yeah, I think they recently came out with one. I'd like to look into it more and understand them a little bit better to see kind of like how competitive they are and how good they are. Because what I wonder about is the lens. You know, like it looks like a security camera, and I'm not here for that. Like I don't want a security camera. I want something that has good quality. But I really like the idea of having like a BTZ mount and being able to control it remotely. I'm I mean, pretty sure cool. you can just mount e-mount on this thing. Okay. Look at this puppy. Isn't that fun? It just yeah. looks like it just looks like a DSLR camera on a joystick yeah. on like a whatever a spinny mount thing. I mean, I mean, I'm I'm for real interested in that, and I can see uses for it. I think it's pretty cool. Yeah, I like it. Okay. Uh, what else? Lightning round. All right, Hollyland. Familiar with Hollyland with their Lark and their little cheap. Cheap camera accessories and that's yeah, what they make. The, they make uh, wireless video transmitters. Yeah, make that. You mm-hmm. know, I don't mean cheap, but you know, like they yeah, are pretty. Affordable. They are pretty affordable. Yeah. you know, a lot, a lot of good options. Seem like yeah. they're competing with uh, your your small rigs and and that sort of thing. Yeah, so, yeah, they're kind of one of those brands. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, they are coming out with some live stream cameras for you TikTokers uh-huh. and your your Instagram Reels. Is it shoots. Only vertical video. <laughs> Love in, it already. In 1080p. And you hold you hold it like this and the camera sticks up like a like a sail. And then they have a version without it without a, a, a screen on it. And you can stick your Ethernet jack in the back or your HDMI port or your audio output and or input or whatever. And it's a it's a live stream camera. So you'd set this up in like a studio or something. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it seems like they want people to like take it with them to Coachella. Oh, okay. Well, so I was thinking about, like, you said it, you connect it to Ethernet, and I'm thinking, like, maybe you put this at your computer well, for it, something? Well, it also has Wi-Fi, it has a, has, and it has a, a fixed lens on it. That's not fixed. Sorry, it has a built-in lens, 28 millimeter. Tamar made the lens. 
and uh, it has a 3x optical zoom. Huh. Couldn't find a single thing about the sensor size. There's no price. It's not out yet. And it comes in white. And here it is. Interesting. Doesn't it look crazy? It does. Yeah. Ah. I mean, I I don't have high hopes for that. It certainly doesn't sound like something I want. Yeah, I'm not interested in it at all. But it kind of reminds me of how Zhiyun just came out with lights, like randomly. Yeah. And yeah. You know, I'm not going to fault any of these companies for coming out with new categories of products because sometimes they end up being good. I mean, like small rigs started expanding into like every other mm-hmm. camera market and it's great. You know, like I like having these options. So this one doesn't really make sense oh, to me, yeah. but maybe they will come out with something good. I mean, small rig has that really cool tripod. Mm-hmm. Affordable. They they came out with the, the follow focus thing, the magic fizz. That's great. Yeah. So yeah, V mount you know. batteries. Yeah. Oh yeah, they came out with the V mount batteries. So yeah. More more things, more good, I guess. Yeah. So yeah, it's cool to see uh, Hollyland coming out with a uh, with an actual camera. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Pretty neat. And then uh, that's it. That's everything for my lightning round for NAB. Cool. Well, it sounds like there's a lot of stuff uh, announced. A lot of exciting things. I mean, between that and those new drones, it's definitely uh, an exciting time in cameras. Yeah, sure is. And like, there's there's some things coming, Daniel. I mean, they uh, they had the Lumix S5X Mark II X uh, in a glass case there at NEB Ooh. that you could you could look at. So <laughs> that, that should be coming out very soon. Though. Should be coming out very soon. We are still waited with bated breath for mm-hmm. the uh, S1H Mark II. Yep, that's which, gonna that's gonna be a big splash. I'm telling you, camera of the year 2023 Lumix S1H already, Mark II already giving out the award. I mean, it's it's just gonna happen. It's yeah. gonna it's gonna blow everyone away. No one's gonna be able to believe it. But wow. Yep. Look at this camera. It's so good. <laughs> it's so good. And then Z8 rumors are heating up. Oh, you know, man. For Nikon. Nikon cast. Nikon cast. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That one's going to be something else. We haven't seen a, a new Nikon camera since 2016, yeah. probably. I don't, know. <laughs> I don't even know. And then uh, what What else is coming? Well, Sony hasn't uh, announced any APS-C cameras in like since yeah, 2016. No, a- so. no APS-C cameras. We're still waiting on maybe like the new, the A7 V. I think that's going to happen this year. I think we're going to get an A7 V this year. And I think that can I think Canon's going to finally release their flagship camera this year, the one, one D. Sorry, Cameron R one R one is probably what I don't yeah. call it. Jeez, I, I was like one D X R. Yeah, the R one R one. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, we're not even halfway through the year. It already feels like we've gotten a lot of pretty big stuff. Mm-hmm. So can't wait to see what's next. X Pro four. That's probably going to happen. It's all coming. It's coming, Daniel. May this yeah. year. It's going to be crazy. We'll see. Maybe by the next episode, maybe we'll have a new camera to talk about. <sighs> Who knows? One, one can only hope. Yeah. What else would we talk about? <laughs> I, I don't even know. Probably DaVinci Resolve again. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Fuji. <laughs> you know, I've been I've been promising people we're going to review every single Fuji simulation. I've, I've been holding you off all this time. Yeah. It's coming. Yeah. It's coming. Just maybe it's a slow week. You yeah. know, maybe someone won't release a drone and then we'll get to it. Yeah. Maybe so. Keep your eyes peeled. Who knows? Ears yeah. open. All that stuff. <laughs> cool. Anything else? Nope, that's it. All right. That's it for the show today. Thanks for listening. And we'd encourage you to rate the show on iTunes and tell a friend, but only if you enjoyed it. You can find out more about us on our website at cameragearpodcast.com. We'll be back with more next week.